Lord, we thank you for, uh, for what this is. As we come to your words, we thank you that uh, this is your chosen means uh, to build up your, uh, your people as we seek to obey your statutes and as we seek to live for your glory. Man is not to live on bread alone. And so we thank you, Lord God, uh, for uh, your provision, your nourishment, for your means of grace. But they are your means of grace. And so we look to you, Lord God, uh, in humility. And uh, we confess our uh, inabilities and our unworthiness. And we pray that as we move to this critical portion of Scripture... Uh, this peak in the story of the life of Joseph. Uh, We pray that you'd help us to understand the chapter. And we pray, Lord God, that you would speak to us and impress upon us its truth, that we might leave evermore in the likeness of Christ and determined to be doers of your word. And we pray. I'll woke everyone up. Uh, This morning, I suppose it feels as though a little bit that we are children uh, wakening up early on Christmas morning. Uh, it feels as though we're children waking up to the realization, perhaps, maybe that it's the first day of the holidays. Why? Because in Genesis 45, surely we come at last to a long-awaited moment, don't we? Uh, we come to a moment, an occasion that we have waited so long to arrive. If you've been at St. Peter's over the last number of weeks and months, I think you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Um, We have seen, yes, okay, Joseph mistreated, sent to Egypt, and, and rises to prominence, yes. What's been happening, though, in recent weeks? There's been this dance, hasn't there? There's been this interplay. On one hand, Joseph on one hand, and his brothers on the other. The brothers have arrived, haven't they, in Egypt, looking for food. But Joseph, what's he done? He has kept his identity from them. He's kept it hidden. And so isn't it the case that over the last number of weeks that the tension has just begun to build and build and build? And we've been following this story. And if you're anything like me, you've been asking, is he going to do it? I mean, is is he going to reveal his identity? Will that moment ever come when Joseph shows his brothers who he is? And then what's going to happen when that occurs? What are the brothers going to do when they realize that this leader that they've been dealing with for so long is actually their long-lost sibling, the one that they mistreated? And then what happens this morning? Like kids waking up on Christmas Day at long last, we come to that moment that we have been waiting for. But more than just being for us at St. Peter's a bit of a relief (laughs) and more than being just a startlingly beautiful chapter of Scripture, I think we have to appreciate that there is so much in Genesis chapter 45 that should spur you on in the Christian life. And this morning, yeah, we're going to see genuinely the joy of forgiveness. Isn't that what comes out immediately in Genesis 45? But in addition to that, we're going to see that by God's grace, reconciliation is possible. Isn't that good news? 
by God's hand, by God's grace, reconciliation can be real. So with that theme, we've got the theme, we've got forgiveness, but certainly reconciliation. Let's do this. Let's turn, if you've got a Bible on your phone or a physical copy of Scripture, turn with me to Genesis chapter 45. Let's have it open if we can. If you don't have it, the usual story, we'll try and put some of the verses that we'll mention, we'll try and get them up on the screen so that we can all follow along. First thing that I want us to see in this chapter that we should recognize is quite simply the reality of reconciliation. So the reality of it. Okay. Um, One of the, the, the features, one of the characteristics of this a sermon series, or this section of the Bible, surely as the amount of cliffhangers uh, that we have encountered in the life of the story of Joseph. Isn't that right? I honestly have com- completely lost count of how many times we have encountered a cliffhanger. We've been left on the edge of our seat, or we've been left holding our breath. Lots of them throughout, throughout the sermon series. I think this morning, obviously, we've come probably to to the biggest cliffhanger in all of the story. Do you see what I mean? Do you? Of course you do. Why? If you were here last week, do you remember? So Joseph has set the brothers a test. Do you remember the cup? He He wants to know. 20 years have passed. He wants to know, have these guys changed? Are they going to protect the favored son, Benjamin? And yes... The brothers, I suppose, they they passed the test. But where has that left you and me? It's left us, if you like, for a whole week, seven days, holding our breath and just wondering, yeah, but what's Joseph going to do here? Like, is he going to release Benjamin? And is he going to send the brothers on the way? What's going to happen? So, so, so what what does he do? Well, yes, it's at this moment he... Wow, at last, he reveals his identity uh, to his brothers. But I would want to ask you, what's the tone of that? What do you think? Like, you, you saw it in the reading, if you know the story well. Does he reveal his identity and then seek revenge? Is it a revealing of his identity and then guards arrest these men? You know it's not. And I'm sure that you would agree with me that what we actually have in front of us here is one of the most moving pictures in all of the Bible of forgiveness. Isn't it? Isn't it one of the most moving pictures of reconciliation? I would ask you, honestly, to please just look at some of the aspects of it with me. So, Look at the beginning of the chapter. Can we put up verses 1 and and 2 and look at the love? Look at the love here. Now, do you see, it's such, or Joseph's, like the depths of feeling that he has at this moment for his brothers. Do you see how there's compulsion? Like he just, he loves them so much, he just cannot help but tell them at last, it's me. And like the tears are flowing, aren't they? Like he is weeping, and to the extent, it's almost funny, isn't it? To the extent that there's people in other parts of the building, uh, and they're wondering what on earth is, is going on through there. He's crying so loudly, so passionately. And then did you notice, when the brothers panic, 
And they do, don't they? They see, what is this Joseph? And, and, and they fear immediately for his life, for their lives, rather. Do you notice um, in verse 4 what Joseph does? Now look at verse 4. Do you see it? They're, they're panic and they're dismayed. And then Joseph, do you see what he does? He, he says, no, guys, come a little bit closer. Like, guys, come to me. Do, do you see what he wants them to recognize? He wants them to see that he's not angry. He wants them to see, no, no, I'm welcoming you. I'm accepting you. He wants them to see, no, your sin, what you did to me is forgiven. And then let your eye drop a little bit. Go down to verses 14 and 15. Oh, do you not love this scene? Verses 14 and 15. Do, do you see? So yes, you've got, you're just an abundance of lovely phrases, I think. But do you notice, what, what's that phrase there? Joseph falls on his brother's neck. You love it, do you? I mean, what a picture. Isn't that a beautiful, beautiful picture? He, he cuddles him, doesn't he? And then, do you notice, on top of that, he, he's getting all the rest of the brothers in. It is a family hug, isn't it? He's dragging them all into to himself, and, and that's lovely. But you read on and see if you get it. Look at the other phrase. Such is the intimacy here. After that, his brothers, what? Talked with him. Is it just an incidental? It's not, is it? Think back to the start of the story in Genesis 37. Do you remember? Such was their loathing of Joseph, their hatred for it. We were told one of the consequences of their hatred was that the brothers could not talk to him. They simply couldn't bring themselves to talk to him. And now, in the forgiveness, that's restored, that's it's changed. Isn't it marvelous? Isn't it just so fitting as well? At the beginning of the book of Genesis, because of sin, you have brothers. You have Cain and Abel, and they're tearing each other apart. And at the end of the book of Genesis, because of God's grace, you have brothers here now reconciled. Now, obviously, I think there is challenge here for our horizontal relationships with each other. You are seeing very clearly this morning that God loves reconciliation. And so, I will be frank with you. If there are relationships that you have that have turned sour, particularly with your fellow Christian, you are seeing what we must do in those circumstances. We must pursue forgiveness. We must pursue reconciliation. But I think it is our vertical relationship that is paramount. So this is what I want to do. I want to speak just to the two groups uh, that are in this room this morning. There are only two groups in the room. So first of all, to the Christian, let, let me just ask you, friend, if you're a Christian, how is your relationship with Jesus? Your walk with Jesus just now, is it cold? Now, let me press into it a little bit. Because of your sin, because of how you have been living recently, is there almost a reluctance to turn back to Jesus in prayer? A reluctance, almost a fear of praying. 
because you're not sure how you will be received. Oh, look at this chapter of Scripture and learn the answer to that. The favored son, the beloved son, this very morning, he stands ready to welcome you. Listen, Christian friend, the Lord Jesus Christ will fall on your neck. You will be able to talk with great and beautiful intimacy with Jesus. If you'll only do as the brothers did, turn away from your sin and turn to him. And then the second group, to those who are not yet trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, all I need to say to you is, you can have this. Now think of that. This morning, right now today, you can know the joy of forgiveness. So you can know the joy of having your guilt, the guilt of your sin removed. You can know the joy of reconciliation with God if you will only accept the invitation that the beloved son extends to you. He says to you in the gospel, come a little bit closer. Jesus says to you this morning, come to me. And so I reckon I had it wrong. I reckon the biggest cliffhanger is what is it you're going to do? Christ says, come, come to me. We see the reality of reconciliation. The second thing that we've got to recognize here is the possibility of reconciliation. The possibility, because there, there is a problem, I think, when we deal with this theme. Nobody in this uh, room is going to say when it comes to horizontal relationships, the idea of forgiveness isn't great. We all love this idea of reconciliation with other people. It's brilliant, great, love it, fantastic, just beautiful, well, sounds lovely. But if you have been mistreated in your life or uh, if you have been wronged you know that forgiveness is tough you know that forgiveness is a very very messy subject indeed and so <laughs> don't we look at Genesis 45 and look at Joseph and we say how do you do that I mean, he has been sold by his brothers. He's been left, you remember? Chucked into a ditch, just discarded by his siblings. And he was just a young bloke. How is it possible that he could forgive them for this? And he does. How does he do it? Well, uh, I'm sure all of us uh, know how an x-ray machine works, do we? Uh, if not, at least we know what an x-ray machine enables uh, a doctor to do. Everybody knows that, don't we? We know, even the youngest people, we know an x-ray machine enables a doctor to see kind of behind the scenes, isn't it? doctor can see beyond the immediate and right to the heart of the matter. There's an x-ray. We know, we know how it works. Is that not what Joseph does here? Please listen. Is not what enables Joseph to forgive a lens, a different perspective on the world, where Joseph looks beyond the immediate, past the immediate, and Joseph looks really to the heart of the matter. Now, 
Look at it with me, I urge you. Can we look together at verse 5 to watch this spiritual X-ray vision? Look at verse 5 with me, will you? Do, you? do you find it? You got it? So what does he do? So he's speaking to the brothers. Yes, he says to the brothers, don't look at what you've done to me. Don't look at your past sin. But to whom does he point them? Do you see in verse 5? Do you know, I think it is five times that, that Joseph mentions God. I wonder, do you see, Christian friend, what Joseph is doing? It's like an x-ray. Joseph is looking past the immediate. He's looking beyond his brother's sin, and he is able to recognize that behind the scenes, God has been active. The providence of God has been working. Can you see that? Think about it in verse 5, as you have it there. Joseph is able to look and see that God has taken what the brothers meant for evil, all of that sin, and God has used it for good. Verse 5, it is to provide for the family. God's taken their wickedness, used it to provide for the family. Verse 7, God has taken their wickedness, all of that sin, and he's used it, verse 7, to preserve the family, to ensure that this covenant line of Abraham continues on. Do you see what it is? It is a spiritual x-ray vision looking beyond the secondary causes, looking beyond the immediate, recognizing the providential hand of God. And as he sees that providence of God, it is that that enables this man to forgive. He recognizes providence and he forgives. Now, of course, come on, St. Peter's. Of course, you and I have to seek to follow suit, don't we? Especially if you have been wronged, even recently mistreated. What do you have to do? We have to trust in God's providence in these times. Trust that, yeah, God permitted that. But trust that God will use that for good. But in something like this, do you and I not need to immediately run to the Lord Jesus Christ? Because is it not? In this truly beloved son, that we see this spiritual vision, this spiritual perspective most clearly, I want to take you right now out of St. Peter's to Gethsemane. Do you see? Was Jesus Christ not able to look beyond the mistreatment of Judas, look beyond the mistreatment of the teachers of the law, and recognize, actually, this is a cup given to me by My father, I want to take you from Gethsemane to Golgotha. Was the Lord Jesus Christ not able to look at all of this mistreatment and the horror from the Romans and the Jews? Was he not able to see that this was the part of his father's plan? And what did that enable Jesus to say and declare from the cross? He looked at providence and Jesus says, Father, forgive them. He looks at providence. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. Do you see, friends? When we are wrong, we look to God's hand. We look beyond the immediate, and this will push us to forgive. Third thing. So we've seen the reality of reconciliation. We see reconciliation as a possibility. Third thing, we see the bounty um, of reconciliation. The bounty of... Okay, nothing to do with coconut. 
nothing to do, nothing to do with chocolate. Okay, nothing. Okay, no. Instead, what what I want us to notice is what it is that comes to the brothers and comes to them by way and through reconciliation. I hope you you follow. So Joseph has revealed his identity. What a beautiful moment. He's had the family hug, hasn't he? But then when they are reconciled, he pours out blessing, a number of blessings on the brothers. And because these are relevant to you, these are part of your Christian experience, I want us just to notice what the blessings are. Please follow me as I point them out to you. So the first one, if we could put up verse 11, and if you could find verse 11, look at the provision that comes through this reconciliation. I'll say it again, provision through reconciliation. So do you, do you see what happens? They're reconciled. So, so Joseph says to his brothers and the family, I, I want the family to come and live and live with me in Egypt. Then what does he say? Look, look at the promise. There, I will provide for you. Don't let it slide past you. Don't you see how perfect it is? Right at this point, we are only two years into the seven-year devastating famine where everything is threatened. And what is it that comes by way of reconciliation? What is he promising? He's saying to his brothers and his family, I'm going to care for you. I know it's hard. I know there's a famine, but I'm going to feed you. I'm going to nourish you. You don't have to worry about that. Second thing. So there's provision. Second thing. I want you to notice the clothing uh, that comes through reconciliation. What has been uh, the, the mantra of the sermon series? You must be sick of me saying the same thing. I said it last week. I said it about three or four weeks ago. I must have said it ten times. You can probably say it with me, but don't. With the life of Joseph, it's always about the robes. It's always, always about the garments. How many times have we seen that through this sermon series? We saw it last week. And do you not see it here? Look at verse 22. Look at it. Do you see? So through this reconciliation, because of forgiveness... Joseph gives each of his brothers a new robe, and he gives Benjamin five of them. Now, what's, what's lovely, maybe this is just a geek in me, but what's lovely is that the phrase in the original is just a little bit different than normals to drag our attention into this. So it's not the normal expression that says a change of clothes or a change of garments. It's a particular unique phrase that actually should be rendered perhaps is a change of cloak <laughs> or a change of robe. Do you see how perfect it is? As the brothers at the start of the story had stripped Joseph of his cloak, of his robe, so by grace, what happens now? Joseph dresses them in the same. They are granted clothing by way of reconciliation. And then the, the last of these, they're also promised a future home. Okay, provision, clothing, but a, a future home. I, I, I said a second ago, maybe you picked up on it, that Joseph invites the family to live with him in Egypt. Did I say that? Can we be just a little bit more precise about things if you look at verse 10? Where is it exactly 
Does it come up on the screen? Verse 10. Do you see where it is? So he invites them. He tells and compels them to come down to Goshen, which is important. It's, it's a place that in some ways parallels the Garden of Eden. That's why it's important. Goshen is in the east. You're told at least twice in this portion of Scripture that Goshen was the best of the land. That's what's promised to him. Isn't it incredible the fruit, the bounty, the blessing that comes through reconciliation? It's amazing. All of this heaped on these sinful men. And because of that, let me bring this to you, your door. And let me ask you again, same question. Oh, it's an important question though. How is your relationship with Jesus Christ this morning? Let me ask, as what characterizes your Christian experience just now, a lack of joy Because of all that's going on, for whatever the reasons, there is a lack of that delight that you once had in Jesus Christ. If that is you, can you not right now, at this moment, fix your attention and your affection on the risen Lord Jesus Christ? And can you not right now rejoice in him and all that he's bringing to you? And do you not see it all in in Genesis 45? Consider the fact that in Christ, like here, we too are provided for. That's a marvelous reality. The beloved son saying, I will take care of you. In the gospel, I will feed you. And I will continue to nourish you. And I will continue to care for you. And then you see it like here, don't you? That in Christ, we too... We are clothed. Now that's an amazing reality. Because I want you to see that though you and me, we were the ones by our sin who stripped that garment of Jesus at Golgotha. We did that. Though that is true, what has Christ already done for you in the gospel? He's dressed you in his precious garment, his own garment, his own cloak. And it's that garment of his righteousness, his holiness, his love. That's yours already. And then you realize, don't you, that the third one is also true? Consider the like here. We in Christ also have a promised future home. And it is Edenic. It is the best of the land that coming new heavens and earth. And what is it, I ask you, that is most special about that coming future home? Did you notice? We're pointed to it. Put verse 10 up or look at it. What did he actually say? What is ahead of you, Christian friend? Do you see what the beloved son says to his brothers? You shall dwell in Goshen and you shall be near me. Isn't that it? You struggling for joy? Isn't there cause? for celebration? Isn't there cause for worship, delight, and praise, and joy? Real rejoicing? Christian friend, we are destined for a land flowing with milk and honey. But what is best of all, we are destined for a land that we will inhabit near the beloved son. We will be with him. All of this bounty, all of this blessing coming to you all in Christ.
And then we we close with a a fourth thing. So we've seen the reality of reconciliation. By God's grace, it's ours. We can see the possibility of it. Looking at providence helps us to forgive. We've seen the bounty, the blessing of it. The last one, perhaps the most challenging for us at St. Peter's, is the activity of reconciliation. Because I think as we close, do you know, if we're going to be, if we're going to, deal with this chapter of scripture with integrity, I really think we have to notice that the brothers are called into action. Did everyone pick up on it? So, so Joseph reconciles, there's this delight, they're reconciled, there's, there's blessing. But then Joseph gives his brothers a task to do. You, you must have seen it. So as soon as he reveals who he is, he tasks his brothers with going away, going up to Canaan, and telling his family that he is alive. Now, let's, let's get the numbers. It's a big family. We're going to learn a little bit later on that there's 66 members of this family. Okay? 66 of them. And the brother's job is to go up to Canaan, tell them that Joseph is actually alive, and then his, their job is to bring those 66 members of that family back down to Goshen to live with with Joseph. They are tasked, they are commissioned to to go up to Canaan. Now, come on, do my work for me. Come on. I think everyone can see a parallel here, can we not? Surely we can. Uh, We are the ones who have been forgiven for grievous sin against the beloved son. You are guilty of that. We have been reconciled. And then what happens? Are we not immediately commissioned? What's our task? What's the task of St. Peter's? Our task is to go and tell other people that the beloved son, though dead, he is living. And our task is to go to these people and implore them to come to abide, to live with the beloved son. I think we can all see the parallel, can we not? So what do we learn here in just a word as we close about this task for St. Peter's of evangelism? What do we see? I want to end with three words. Get the three words. I will stand at the door at the end and I will ask you for the three words. (laughs) Everyone goes out the back way. (laughs) First First word, urgency. Do it with me, please, if you've got a Bible there. I want you to work with me, especially the young ones. What I want you to do is look at the beginning of verse 9, then look at verse 13. See if you notice something in common. Beginning of verse 9, halfway through verse 13. Do we see something? Do we see common terminology? Oh, I'm hoping that I've got my references right here. I'm getting nods of the head. Do we sense the urgency? Do you notice twice what Joseph is saying to his brothers? You have to tell that I'm living, but, but wait, hurry! And, and you can see why. Come on, think about it for Joseph. There is a famine raging. And he loves these people up in Canaan. It's raging and, and everything is on the line here. And they are literally starving. So Joseph says to his brothers, please go on your bike, move it, hurry, there's urgency here. You've got to get there before they die. And surely, come on, there must be a word on that for us. 
I, I, I do want to ask you, what do you think? Is it possibly true, 21st century Christianity, that we have lost a sense of the urgency in the task of mission and evangelism? I mean, across the board, but in our own hearts, have we, have we lost that? Does that need to be brought back into focus? After all, what do we really know in our heart of hearts to be true? People desperately need to hear about Jesus. It's as simple as that. They need to hear about this beloved son. They need to hear about the reality and the possibility that they can be reconciled to God. Forgiveness is there. And everything for them depends upon that. Urgency. Second word. Unity. Because I think I've talked to you about maybe sermon preparation in the past. And I certainly mentioned to you that one of the most elementary tasks in preaching is to read the text. (laughs) And so over the course of a week, I don't know how many times a minister has to read the text. Read the text. Keep reading the text. Every time this week that I've read the text, one little phrase, it stands out. And I think it's probably the same for all of us. I don't think it is peculiar to myself. And I think it is in your Bibles there, flashing a little neon light that's flashing. Now you will see the little phrase if you look at verse 24. Verse 24. So it's just at this point of commissioning. Look at it. Do you see it? Just at the point of commissioning, he's saying, go and hurry. And they're leaving the city and they're just about to go up to Canaan. And what does Joseph say to them? He shouts after them and do not dare to quarrel. Do not quarrel on the way. And you can see, why does he say that? He knows everything's on the line here, doesn't he? If they arrive in Canaan and they are tearing each other apart, these brothers, and they're bickering, that was your fault. Simeon, that was you. No, 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 no. That, 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 Reuben, that was your. And they're tearing each other. What's going to happen when they get to Canaan? They are not going to be believed. They're going to get to Canaan and this arguing and this bickering is going to dilute their testimony to Joseph who is alive. Surely, That is God's word screaming at us and to our situation. Yes, on one hand, to Christians who are living in Scotland. To the other hand, to Christians in this room. Could it be any clearer? Christ Jesus this morning saying to us in our task of evangelism, do not dare to quarrel on the way. If you and I eat each other up and tear each other apart in here, we will not be believed. It will destroy the witness of the church. Do not quarrel in the way. And then the third and the very last thing, what are the words? Urgency, unity, detail. Because right at the end, Do you notice a problem? Did you notice an obstacle? Because the brothers leave, they travel up, they're being best behavior. You can imagine it, being well behaved. They're not fighting with each other. They get up into Canaan. They're saying, Joseph is alive and he's in Egypt. What's the obstacle? 
Do you notice? Their dad doesn't believe him. Jacob will not believe. Now it changes, doesn't it? How does it change? Let's look at verse 27. How does he come? Can we say, how does he come to faith? But how does he look at 26? So he sees wagons that have been provided and that stirs him. Ah, but no, look, listen to it. But when they told him all the words of Joseph, then their father believed. Do you see it? When they told him all the words of Joseph, and isn't that such a prompt for our evangelism? Aren't we seeing there the need for us, ideally, to be detailed in what we say to other people of Jesus. Our goal is not to tell people we go to church. (laughs) Our goal is not just to say something. Should we not be looking for opportunity, but praying for opportunity to say much about this glorious Savior we have? Should we not desire and look for opportunity to say much about this beloved Son, who though was dead is now risen, alive. And this beloved son who is ushering people, calling people to himself for reconciliation. This is, I've preached on a lot of chapters of scripture. This is a beautiful section of scripture. Should we not go and do what it points us to? Should we not go and tell other people that by God's grace, sinners can be forgiven? Should we not go and tell people that the beloved son right now is saying to them, come a little bit closer. Come, come to me. After all, whose responsibility is this? Is it not a responsibility given to you, to me? What does, I'll end with this, what does the Apostle Paul say in Corinthians? He says, all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Do you not want to go and tell people? Of this Jesus? Will we not go out of the doors and tell people of the greater Joseph, the one who is alive? Let's pray. We look at this chapter of Scripture and we uh, marvel at the fact that these brothers who were murderers and adulterers and liars and cheats and greedy, that they are forgiven. And Lord, we marvel all the more that in Christ Jesus, that is true of us, the worst of sinners. You have fallen on the necks of your people You have reconciled us to you in Christ Jesus. So we ask for your help as we seek to go out and hold out this ministry of reconciliation. Use us. Help us not to quarrel on the way. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.